0: Welcome to Behavioral Grooves, my name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Given
1: the strange and turbulent times that we are living through, Kurt and I decided to reach out to some of our favorite behavioral science researchers and practitioners to get their take on the novel
0: coronavirus pandemic that is shaking the world. These special edition episodes will explore a variety of different aspects of the crisis and our response to each of those aspects through a behavioral lens. We know that you may feel overwhelmed by the crisis already. It seems
1: every news story, every social media thread, Every phone conversation that we have is focused on some aspect of the pandemic right now. While the news and updated information are essential, we're going to take a different tact. We want to try to understand the science behind our reactions and our behaviors and how science can help us cope and move beyond the
0: current crisis. In each episode, we talk with a different behavioral science expert and get their best thinking on an aspect of the crisis. So sit back, take a deep breath, and listen to our special series on behavioral science and the coronavirus pandemic. Dr. Jules Nolan is a psychologist,
1: speaker, and author who consults with more than 40 schools in the Twin Cities in greater Minnesota on student behavioral, academic, and mental health needs. She's the president of the Minnesota School of Psychology Association and chairwoman for the Human Diversity Committee for the International School Psychology Association. Her research, which has been conducted and published nationally and internationally, focuses on behavior, achievement, and well-being for school-aged children. She consults with parents and educators on how to manage family life and classrooms to help all children thrive. Jules,
0: welcome to Behavioral Grooves.
2: Thanks very much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: <laughs> well, we are excited. Uh, just a note: I have been longtime friends with your husband, and uh, have met you. What we 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 go back a few years now. So yeah, it's yeah. been years. Yeah, yeah. So so this is exciting to have you on. Um, and with that, you do a lot of work as as Tim mentioned up front with with schools and with the pandemic and and the crisis and the you know school shutting down. You've been doing some sessions with those schools. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you've been talking about and what the messages that you've been sending.
2: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I consult with about 40 schools in the Twin Cities and Greater Minnesota. And um, I've been providing some sessions for teachers and some sessions for parents. And overwhelmingly, I'm finding that everybody's worried about how the kids are going to deal with this. And we have, as parents been able to provide for our children's emotional health in a way that maybe parents and generations before haven't been able to, we are able to knock some um, obstacles out of their way so that kids didn't have to feel some strong negative emotions, disappointment and frustration, um, loneliness. And what we're finding, what I'm finding is really hopeful news the parents are worried about something that's not really happening so much. They're worried that the kids are going to spiral out into anxiety, that they're going to become depressed, that their social skills are going to suffer. But what we're finding is the demands of this situation is is, uh, affording kids the ability to practice being skillful with some negative emotions. So my message to parents has been, Use this time, let kids use this time to become skillful with those things that will serve them best as they grow up. We know that what we in psychology uh, call soft skills, you know, Mm -hmm. self-awareness and um, self-management abilities with strong emotions, we know that those things are the best predictors of outcomes for kids in school. And in life. And so I look at this time as a really rich, fertile garden, if you will, for helping kids develop these skills that are going to serve them well beyond school. Um, And so that's my message is they're going to be okay, you're going to be okay. Here's how to practice some leaning on kids a little bit to help the family be okay, but also let them be disappointed, let them be frustrated. If the only learning that comes from this If the only academic learning that comes from this for the rest of the school year is that our kids get skillful with negative emotion, that they are able to tolerate uh, when things are not running the way they should, when they uh, can handle frustration, when they can be lonely, when they can be bored and, and good at being bored, that's enough. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so the pandemic is the is the lesson in and of itself to a certain degree.
2: That's exactly right. The pandemic is the lesson and the most valuable learning that will happen with this.
0: Well, I just don't want my 14-year-old to to hear this, but um <laughs> otherwise cuz I still think he needs to do his math homework, but but I, I, there's some there's some really interesting insights into that and I think um what I'm hearing you say and and correct me if I'm wrong here is that this the, the world that we lived in before, there were a lot of snowplow parents or helicopter parents that were trying to get all these obstacles out of the way of, of their children to, to insulate them, to protect them. And given this crisis that that can't happen, and actually it's probably a good thing for them to, to learn some of these skills now um, so they're not as fragile and so that they can withstand uh, these types of th- things that happen as we grow up and as we become adults we we in in you know we run into these types of situations not a pandemic per se but stressful hard situations and if we don't have that skill set to be able to handle that th- we're not going to be as prepared as we should be
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I uh, work with um, a population of children from preschool all the way up through high school, and some of the high-achieving college prep high schools, I have found um, sometimes kids who look like they should be doing great, right? They're they're intelligent, they are attractive, they're athletic, they've got parents who have resources, they're well-liked, they're popular. Um, And then they have a small disappointment, like they get a B minus on something that they worked really hard on, and they fall down. They can't get up. And then if I dig into that a little bit, I find a style of parenting in which, and I'm not dogging parents. Parenting is a hard job. And I think we do this with good hearts and good intentions, thinking that if I save my kid from frustration or disappointment or loneliness, all these hard negative emotions, if I save them from that, then the sky's the limit. They could be the President of the United States, they could be a CEO of a big company. But the opposite is true. If they don't get skillful with those negative emotions when they're young, then they fall down in high school or worse, they fall down once they're going to some expensive college. Yeah. And, uh, and then and then they feel like they're a giant failure. So this is will provide, this is will be transformative for our kids. This provides them the opportunity to be thrown into the deep end of the negative emotion pool, if you will. And parents who recognize that and say, okay, this is it. We're going to practice these things. You're going to be okay. You're going to get skillful with this. And I'm going to allow it to happen and help you practice these skills. Those parents, as what I'm finding, those parents are the ones whose families are doing the best.
1: I love the way you talk about that, Jules. I really do. This is not Pollyannish or naive. You know, you've know, you got a very upbeat and positive approach. And I love the idea of framing this as uh, this could be transformative. In fact, in, in some ways, it is transformative virtually for everybody, no matter what. But it's an opportunity to kind of craft and frame that that transformation. I think that, that is really cool. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, parent-child relationships and how how do you see it working? How do you see parent child relationships working uh, when it comes to school related activities these days?
2: Yeah, so I'm seeing a, a spectrum of things. And I'm, as I said, the ones that the families that are functioning best, the families that are having the best time with this or the least amount of um, stress or, or tr- uh, trouble are those families who are looking at this as we are a team, we have to help each other through this, and that kids have the mo- as much responsibility as parents do to keep the family running smoothly. This, The children are an p- important part of the family, but they are not the centerpiece of the family. And even little kids can have uh, chores and can have responsibility to um, get along with friend with each other, with their siblings, can be tapped by parents to say, look, this is hard for all of us. We all need to work as a team. And you know, I always I'm a big fan of having a family charter. So a mm-hmm. family charter is these are the things that we value. These are the things that are important to us as a family. How are we going to achieve these things? They might be things like that we're respectful to each other, that we you know, manage our health and safety well. But how are we going to manage these things? And then when something happens, because something always happens with a kid, you, you treat that, uh, maybe a tantrum or a fight with a sibling, you treat that as, okay, this kid is trying to learn these hard skills. I'm not going to freak out about it. And um, you help them understand that this isn't part of our charter. Remember, this is what we're going to do. Okay, take some time and now we'll we'll try this again. So, you know, the families who are not trying to do it all and do it all perfectly and provide this sort of um, wonderful, you know, idyllic childhood experience for their children, those families are doing the best when they realize that it just can't be done at this time. And shouldn't so, be done really ever. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I'm, I'm just glad that my kids are old enough and they got the perfect and idyllic family experience exactly, when they were growing right. up. So, <laughs> right. so I don't have yeah. to worry about that now. <laughs> exactly
2: right. Maybe you've, heard, maybe you've heard of the term um, uh, good enough mother. It was coined in the 1950s by a psychologist called Don, Donald Wincott. And it is this idea, when I say this to parents, they sort of cringe a little bit. Good enough is not good enough. But it's this idea that we have to provide our kids children with predictable routine disappointments to prepare them (laughs) right to prepare them for a world that is imperfect because if we don't they're going to get out into the real world and go what I can't function in this world nobody has set out all my things
0: yeah well we have a good enough podcast so um, (laughs) (laughs) we just have kids listen to this and they'll realize that it's good enough there's lots of mistakes to be made um I want to go back to you, you talked about this family working together and that even small kids can can start taking chores. I mean in, in your perspective, what does that look like? I mean, what how does a family in this together, what are some of the specifics that you might be able to point out or some examples of what that might be?
2: Sure. So think about the things in your family that drive you the most crazy, right? And they're different for every family. First of all, health and safety, right? We can't have people fighting with each other and, and hurting each other. So that's number one. But then When is it that the whole family gets sort of off kilter when it's too messy? And we know and and talk about this as a family. We know that when things start to go down the tubes, it's because the house is too messy. And so let's figure out a trigger that we can say. um, Usually it's not go clean your room. You know, usually it's more like, hey, we're coming off charter or, um, you know, just like you would with a sports team. When you start to to swirl the drain, you encourage the members of the team. You don't, you know, yell at them and reprimand them. Hey, you know, come on, you guys, we're we need to get back on track. And so, so maybe it is a, a clean house. Oh, we need to get back on track, and that is a trigger to the kids to understand it is their turn to pick up whatever area has been assigned to them. I, I think a lot of work beforehand creates really good results you know right so we want planning and work beforehand
0: yeah,
1: yeah. So there's a lot of uh, families who have not done a good job of strategizing and preparing for this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not, I, just, not, I, I am avoiding. one of those. I am one of those 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 parents. I can tell you this. But it's um, not
2: too late. It's not, not too bad. late. There's plenty of time. <laughs> we got nothing but time, right?
0: Well, that's that, that's true. So so given the fact that maybe some families have been going on autopilot before this, they have not created a family charter they have not necessarily signed their kids to do a whole bunch of of chores or help with the family pieces because it's just not been part of that routine in this time do we still can you get can you go ahead and start that and if so what are some of the what are some of the tricks that may be able to to make that start um more effective since kids aren't used to having a bathroom to clean or a kitchen to clean or whatever it is that they're assigned and you don't have a family charter to, to look back on, where, where do you, where do you um, recommend that people start?
2: So you lead by example, right? You start with, you know, have a meeting here's where we're falling down. Here's how, here are some ideas that I think we should do to help us function better. What are your ideas? And then the kids will immediately forget that whenever a conflict arises. (laughs) And so, and so you lead by example and, and, um, I think the most important thing that you can do with regard to parenting is keep your cool and take care of yourself in moments of conflict. Mm. When you do that, you do a couple of things. You model to the child that you do not get yelled at by your most beloved person and you are not allowed to yell at your most beloved person. That teaches them sort of self-respect in the moment and care for themselves in the moment and in their future. Remember, you're always parenting in two moments right now and what they will expect as grown-ups in relationships. And so when there's a conflict, maybe they're yelling at you because they're mad about something. And you say, oh, mm, we don't talk to each other this way. And you turn around and walk away and take some breaths and, you know, shut yourself in the closet and scream if you need to. Um, <laughs> but just take some time for yourself. You model to them that they don't get to yell at you and also that they should not expect to be yelled at by their loved people. Um, and so model by example, you know, you, you give them an example of, of how to take care of yourself first. That's kind of the first. Um, the, other, the other sort of leg of that is that even when we're not in a pandemic, modeling uh, self-care and parenting later um, is a concept that I call uh, parenting later, which means I don't have to deal with the fact that you are sassy and even cursing at me right now I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to show you that I move and take care of myself, and uh, and then I'm going to parent later. I'm going to give you a consequence later, mm. and um, that is can be really really powerful uh, when we're you know trying to keep the peace at home.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, some great advice here, and I think probably some of the hardest part is is stopping that emotional reaction that you have if your kid is sassing back or you walk in and the kitchen is just a huge mess and you had already told them to clean the kitchen up and they haven't done it and so you, you just have that emotional response that is immediate and to take those few breaths as you mentioned to to maybe go to that closet and scream there as opposed to the initial you know reaction would be to scream at that kid who is sitting there playing video game instead of doing what you want them to do um any other hints on how to hold those emotions back on on how to you know keep your cool as you said
2: yeah so we all have a safety plan for if there's a tornado or if, if there's a fire but not very many of us have an emotional safety plan and that is this idea that I know what I'm going to do when they push my buttons. I know exactly the two or three choices that I can take to help myself calm down. Because we know that when we're emotionally elevated, we're not making good decisions. Our decision-making capacity is sort of shut off. And so you need a choice of one or two things. You need to push yourself into that thing and then calm yourself down. And that has repercussions for your kids as they grow up. Because the last thing that you want is for your, you know, five or six or seven or eight year old kid to get yelled at by you every time they push your buttons and then they grow up and now they're 16 and they're driving and they end up at a party and somebody is drinking and somebody is passed out from drinking and a parent needs to be called. You Mm. don't want your kid to say, you can't call my dad. He freaks out if I don't empty the dishwasher. He'll never be able to handle this. So You got to keep your cool so that you can keep them emotionally close to you so that they can they know that they can trust you even in scary times.
0: Yeah, I like the idea. You you mentioned before, you're parenting for two moments, right? You're parenting for now, but you're also parenting for that future kid and future self.
2: Exactly.
1: Do you think that the general level of anxiety for parents and kids right now is higher than normal? I, I don't mean to, forgive me if that just sounds too simplistic, but is it? Is the general level of anxiety higher uh, across the board?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question because you would think that that would be true, right? This is an anxiety-producing situation. But the truth is that I'm finding in my schools, those kids who have anxiety disorders or who are anxious at school, particularly with social anxiety and performance anxiety, they're doing great. Mm. They don't have the, the extra stress of um social comparison they don't have the extra stress of being called on uh, they've got sort of a, um, a layer of protection between them and who they feel are judging them teachers and and other other students so they're actually doing pretty well The people that are suffering are uh, teachers are suffering and parents are suffering uh, students who do pretty well at school, But who are extroverted and also get a whole lot of social reinforcement from being with other people and from the way they carry themselves in schools, those kids are having a hard time because we don't get a lot of feedback. Teachers get almost no feedback when they're doing a Zoom uh, um, or Google meets with their students, and they thrive on that feedback. Mm -hmm. Extroverts thrive on that feedback, and it fills them up. Those people are, are having a harder time.
0: So it's almost the opposite of what you would think, because the the people who have done well in school, who kind of are, you don't seem to have a problem, are the ones who are taking this harder in some instances than people who might have had some of those emotional issues going into this, as you said, some of the social and anxiety and various different aspects who are finding this actually relieving. So it's contrary to what you might might have thought of going into this. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And for those people who are suffering, for those those kids who are, are suffering, even anxious kids who might be suffering, um, we know that this event is read by our brain as a, a stressor and even a traumatic stressor. And we know from our experts in, in trauma that Kids who are resilient to trauma or who have good outcomes, even if they've been exposed to traumatic stress over a long period of time, chronically, the kids who have three things are the kids who who thrive. One is choice. So they need a little bit of choice in what they do. It doesn't, we don't want to give tons of choice, because remember, when you're in, in your stress brain, you can't take 15 choices. You can take two or three. They also need a sense of Uh, greater good doing something for the greater good and don't don't lose sight of the fact that most of us who are staying home right now who are missing fun times at school who are missing you know um, parties and our friends most of us are doing that not to protect our own health but to protect the health of the most vulnerable people in our population. And that is something to be proud of. And so that is a work toward greater good that you could bring to the attention of your children to help them understand that they're doing something really important and they're making a big sacrifice. So mm. they need they need choice, they need a, a feeling like they're working for the greater good, and they need social connection. And the social connection, if they can't get it from friends at this time, can be gotten right in your own family. You know, I grew up in southern Minnesota on a farm. And we saw our friends. I, not youngest of nine children, right? So I didn't have camps and I didn't have play dates and I didn't have, and most of my brothers and sisters are quite a bit older than I am. So I grew up kind of as an only, um, at, at the end. And we saw our friends till June 2nd and then we didn't see them again until August 27th. Mm. And, We, you know, we, it helped us. We got lonely. We got bored. We got very inventive. We had great imaginations. We did lots of stuff outside. So this isn't catastrophic socially for kids. They will be able to handle it. It's not gonna be easy or fun, but they will be able to handle it.
0: Well, and I do think too, kids today are much more connected. And even in this pandemic, and Tim and I have talked about this multiple times, if this would have happened 15 years ago, even you know 10 years ago, it would have been a whole different response because of the ways that we are interconnected uh, through computers and virtually in, in a variety of different ways. My son, for instance, I've, I've talked about this. He You know, his life hasn't really changed that much outside of going to school and coming back from school. His interactions with his friends are, you know, he has the phone going uh, and it's a group phone call and they're playing Minecraft Mm -hmm. uh, and they're all playing together. And he's doing that. And if you would have looked in at him two months ago, he would have been doing that exact same thing on a Friday night. That was that's his life. And so to that degree, that social connection, I think, is. Important and, and I think it is important for parents to realize that, yeah, they don't have to have all of those, those social connections and, and they'll be fine without it. But the, also the idea that, hey, today, uh, you know, there's so many different ways of, of being able to connect socially with their friends that it, it probably isn't going to be a, a big in, inconvenience at any point anyway.
2: Agreed. Yeah, I think that's exactly right.
0: You know,
1: Jules, you've talked about um, the emotional vocabulary that even young kids can have. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And would you share some of your insights with, uh, with our listeners about that?
2: Yeah, we know. So the Yale center on emotional intelligence tells us that kids who have more words around emotion in first and second grade are less anxious and depressed in sixth and seventh grade. Mm. And so building uh, vocabulary around emotion is important, and this is a really great time to do it because kids are having so many emotions. So, with little kids, when they're when they're on, uh, out of sorts, you might say, "Hey, you, you don't seem yourself." How are you feeling? What's What are you feeling like inside? Little kids, um, well, actually even up to teenagers, have about five or six words that they use to to describe emotion. There are more than 2,000 words to describe human emotion. Adults use about 15. Kids use, as I said, five or six, maybe 10 Um and so uh, you can build emotional vocabulary by talking about emotion. There is a cool app um, called Mood Meter, and it was it's produced by the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, and it can be used independently by maybe middle schoolers on up. Even adults use it. Um, it can be used with a parent. Essentially, it it outlines emotion on an axis of energy and positivity so a low energy low positivity emotion might be bored and then it helps you choose a word around that emotion and then shift from that emotion to another emotion um, if you want to and if you can it gives you it gives you some examples of things you could do to shift um, so it's really it's a I've seen the tool work wonders with middle school kids and uh, high school kids. Um, and then parents use it just to build vocabulary.
0: So mood meter, mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Okay, yep. fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll put it put in the show link. notes. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. So, Jules, can you tell us a little bit with the added time that families are are together? And I'll just bring in a little story. You know, so as as our family, it's been interesting. We have we've actually played you know a couple board games in the evenings we've done uh puzzles we've done a few other things that we would normally not do what are some of the what are some of the the aspects of this pandemic that you see are are valuable just from the time and and kind of the the activities that that families are doing are there things that we should be doing more of together and and how much alone time do kids need to have um, in this time of crisis as well
2: yeah, great question. Um, so all of all of the above in terms of uh, activities to do with your kids. remember that especially if you're worried about academic learning, academic learning happens not just when they're sitting at the computer talking to their teachers. It happens when you're baking. It happens when they're building something. It happens during art um, and crafts, those sorts of things. And the play that they have, in break times from school is really necessary for them to sort of encode all the learning that they did. So they're they're learning new information, and then they need to connect it to stuff they already know. So mm-hmm. maybe they're learning, you know, um, some math facts, and then you go and help them bake cookies, and they go, oh, I get it. I get what a fraction is. It's a fraction of a whole. That means it's a part of something. And, and they make it part of their everyday um, experience with life. So Understand that all of the activities that seem like just passing time um, help with the academic learning. They help to integrate it and sort of sink it into your long-term memory. Um, having kids have choice around the kinds of activities that they want to do i think is important so so you're an important part of this family my 5th grader and we i'm out of ideas we need somebody to figure out what we're going to do for family time tonight and it's on you go ahead figure out what tell me what you need i'll try to find the 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 stuff um so giving them responsibility with regard to that i think is important and in terms of time so usually what we're finding is that Parents are really happy with all of the family time and the slower pace that they've got. You know, we've got our kids overscheduled. Everybody's got seven different kinds of lessons and sports and, and extracurriculars. Parents are really happy with the slower pace and the more... Uh, opportunity that they have just to have ca- casual conversations with their kids, except for parents of 14-year-olds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> there you go. Well, there you
2: go. <laughs> uh, typically, 14-year-olds uh, are starting, you know, they're doing that individuation um, part of their development, psychological development, and they want to spend a lot of time alone. Mm. And that worries us. We get worried when they don't want to come out of their bedroom. And so, again, you can tap them to say, look, I know that you need private time and I'm all about you having private time but also you're uh, responsible for some of the health and safety of this family and it makes me feel better when i can see your face it makes your brother feel better when he can bug you on the couch for a little bit right <laughs> how how much can we expect what let's talk let's negotiate a reasonable amount of time that you will commit to being in the family even if you think we're weird and 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 then you know just agree to something
0: yeah Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's great advice. And, and as, as a parent of a 14-year-old, um, I think that's that's going to be <laughs> implemented in the Nelson house household, <laughs> that's for sure.
1: Jules, I'm wondering if you were to put a uh, crystal ball or get out your crystal ball, the one that you use all the time, probably to share <laughs> with us a little bit. Uh, what, what are the things that you think might come out of this? You've mentioned a lot of potentially new habits or changes and interruptions to existing habits. What do you think the future might look like? What do you think a new normal might look like?
2: You know, I, I say all the time, I encourage families all the time to slow the pace of their family down. Think about everything that you are able to do or accomplish, every activity that you want your kids in or that your kids say they want to be in, and then cut it down to about 75%. Try to operate at about 75% of your total potential. And that is when we are not in a pandemic. You know, we think that because there's so much opportunity to um, have our kids get lessons in everything and um, participate in every extracurricular, that, that we should provide those opportunities to kids. But the research doesn't really bode that out. The research shows that when kids are over when they're little, when they have too many activities and too many lessons, they start to feel like they're not good at just being a kid. You know, they need all this training and everything in order to just be a kid. So I think, I hope, my hope is that we will recognize that over uh, the, the amount of time that we have spent has been more than is needed and more than is good for our families. The amount of time that we spend in extracurricular, in training, in, um, in you know, meeting needs outside of the emotional health of the family. I hope that that is one thing that comes from this.
0: Yeah, those are those are great. Two questions for you, um, and and I'll ask the first one. um, And and these are questions for me, so uh, listeners, I'm sorry, but but I'm I'm asking to to get. I'll just tune out Um, while while you're asking. (laughs) asking getting advice on on my own family here. So having the kids at home and the school work that is going on, they they are no longer going into school from nine to to three thirty or four, and and they're they're not having a specific time set. So the schools that we have, it, it's basically learning at your own pace. They have certain assignments they have to do, various different things. And we've been trying to set up um, specific learning time, saying, you know, from 10 to 2, it is really, this is your learning time. You know, work on your class projects that you need, your assignments that you need. And if you're, you're out of that time, that's still good. Do something on your own to, to have learning. But this isn't a time to be, you know, FaceTiming with your friends or playing video games or watching videos. Um, And we're having a difficult time in necessarily getting our kids to buy into that Mm -hmm. and wondering if you have any, any suggestions. Is that a good, should we have that, that four hour learning time, or should it be something different or how can we get our kids to actually focus in on learning as opposed to just waiting until, you know, the assignments due in 10 minutes and they have to, struggle to get it done because they don't have that framework anymore.
2: Yeah. So so having um, a schedule is really important. That helps kids be um, <clears throat> calmer, essentially. You know, when you have a schedule, you don't have such uh, cognitive um, requirements to make decisions about what I'm going to do next. My schedule's up there, and so that helps with the stress of this. At the same time, we don't want kids working for four hours straight, Um, Mm. kids should be working, you know, depending upon their age, little kids really shouldn't be working more than 15 to 20 minutes and then need a break. Remember the work is done. And then when you leave the work and you as grownups, we know this to ourselves, right? We do something or we're, we're, we're trying to tackle new information and then we go to sleep. And as we go to sleep, we're thinking about it, right? Mm. So they need that break in between each different uh, thing that they have to do to sort of uh, incorporate that into the knowledge that they already have. We can only learn about 10% new information at a time. And we really have need time to connect it to the stuff we already know. So mm-hmm. they need to sort of think about it, mull it over a little bit. Um, so, you know, for for older kids, you know, 30 minutes of academic work followed by at least a 15 minute break, uh, physical movement in that time, if possible, Um, giving them, them some choice. Do you want to work on this first or that first is a good idea. But also you can have the expectation, especially for older kids, that they do this on their own and that you don't have to be there to prompt them for everything. Now, having said that, a kid with a disability of any kind, a kid with a with something that affects their executive functioning. So that's ADHD, that's autism spectrum, that's a learning disability, that's anxiety, that's depression, uh, bipolar disorder. A kid with any sort of a disability is able to, going to be able to concentrate for half or less time than they were able to prior to this. Mm. I have encouraged teachers to cut. The amount of work that they give kids in half for typically developing kids and kids with executive functioning issues, their work should be cut in uh, in a quarter.
0: Mm. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Those are great ideas. And then my, my next question is, so when they are then allowed to have free time, um, it seems like they're in front of a video screen. And as much as we prod them, you get outside, do something, you know, whatever else it is, it's the default is going back to those video screens. And again, I don't want to be the person that says, no, you can't watch specific, you know, video, but you do it. Um, Intentionally and, and and make sure you're not just being sucked into it. Are there any ideas? Um, a is is watching, getting on a video, and again, sometimes it's it's chatting with friends and FaceTiming with friends. Other times it's watching a video. Sometimes it's playing a game, but it is in front of a screen. Um, what should what do you recommend about that?
2: I have two hard and fast rules about um, technology, and they are no screens in bedrooms at bedtime. So at least one to two hours before bedtime, the screens are out of the bed, um, bedroom. And the reason is because it messes with their circadian rhythms. It, the light is, uh, is problematic. Even if they're off, they're a bad idea to have in bedrooms. So get them out of there. And the other one is content awareness. So parents are checking content. And I know as they get older, it's easier for them to hide what they're doing. They know how to you know, erase their histories and all that sort of stuff. But let them know that you are counting on them to be responsible with content that you'll be you'll be looking at what they're looking at beyond those two rules i'm not hard and fast with anything and here's why You don't want to be the screen minute police, right? Mm -hmm. You don't you don't have to say, oh, this is 36 minutes and you only get to have 39 minutes today. So you better, that's conflict. That is that is a poor use of your time. So instead I like to think about what is it that you want to protect in your family? Mm. What times of uh, what family times what learning times um, what interaction times do you want to protect. So maybe you want to protect dinner time that means no screens at the table, even for parents. Maybe you want to protect um, maybe one or two hours that you have as family time to play games or or watch a movie together. Having a screen when you're watching it together, that's different than regular individual screen time.
0: Maybe Mm -hmm. you want
2: to protect that. So no screens, no individual devices while we're watching a movie together. Um, Maybe you want to protect outside time so they don't take their their phones with them outside. Um, When we were in our cars more, my advice was always protect the car time because they always come to you with those things that they aren't too embarrassed to ask you face to face in the car that's where you get all the best kind of interaction is when they don't have to look in the eyes you're busy with your you know hands on the wheel and it teaches them a habit of not being on a screen when they're in a car, which is a really good habit to have once they're driving in a car. So, <laughs> yes. so think about the things, rather than being screen police, think about the times in your day that you really want to protect from screens, because they will seep into everything else. And then understand they're going to be on screens more now than than they ever have been before, because they do get their social interaction that way.
1: Yeah. I just want to come back to this idea of uh, not to blame parents who haven't had all these strategies in place, but really just asking the question, is is this a good time? And Kurt asked this earlier, but is this a good time to start those new habits or to try to develop the charter, to try to start to build in these uh, sacred spots in, in our day? Is, is the crisis time an okay time to start doing that?
2: Yeah, I think it's an okay time to start doing that, particularly if what's going on in your family is overwhelmingly negative. And um, what I mean by that is if there's tons of conflict, if you feel like all you ever do is yell at your kids, then it's time to take a step back, lead by example, taking care of yourself, as I said, and then shine a light on those wonderful things that you see in your kids. Mm. You know, I'm asked all the time um, by parents, What's the best behavior program? and should be we be using sticker charts or marbles or what's the best thing? This is not a time for behavior charts. this is not a <laughs> time. no it is a time, however, for you to start noticing those things that your kids do or say that are great or not even great, just neutral. Um, I'll tell a really brief story, but uh, I have three kids. My husband and I have three kids and they are, um, I had three under the age of five at one time. Two of them are 18 months apart and they fought like crazy. They fought like everybody else's kids. I took a seminar, um, called the nurtured heart approach and it's created by a man called Howard Glasser and it's meant for high conflict situations, um, and so you know we're sitting at the dinner table, and and my two are fighting and fighting and fighting, and I don't say anything, and I bite my tongue, and I don't say anything, which is a new approach. In the past, it would be, you know, stop, la la, um, and then as soon as they stop, I say, boy, you know, I have to tell you how much I appreciate just having a peaceful dinner with you guys. We don't have very much time together, and this is really great. And then, of course, that works for a hot second, and then they're fighting again, right? And this goes on and on and on and on, and I keep ignoring and keep ignoring and keep highlighting even neutral behavior. I really like the way you brought the plates to the table. That shows me that you care that we sit together and have a family dinner. Um, It wasn't long, and my son said, did you take a seminar? (laughs) And I said, yes, I did. And you know why? Because we are not going to be a war zone. And um, what I learned from that experience was you get more of whatever it is that you shine a light on. And if you spend your energy shining a light on the great things about your kids or even the neutral things about your kids that tell you that that you love about them, that's what you get more of.
0: No. Thank you for that, because that, I think it's really important as we as we go through this crisis and, and think through, you know, because there are a lot of hot emotional times at this point and And we can nitpick and we can focus on the negative or we can focus on those things that are, as you said, neutral or or positive, And, and hopefully that then lends itself to more positives. I wanted to go back. Um, so I've had the opportunity to meet uh, your daughter. And uh, your daughter actually babysat my daughter when we had dinner together and, and had a great conversation with her one time. And you and your family did a uh, took a year while your husband was doing school and, and lived in various different parts of the world while that school was going on in various different pieces. And I remember your daughter specifically talking about her relationship with her brother and one time being in China and being surrounded, going for a walk, and realizing that, um, the only person that she could actually communicate with in this town that was probably huge was her brother and it was this bonding moment for them and i'm i'm wondering if there's um any connection between that you can draw between that experience that you guys had kind of that family unit being as as the only thing that you guys had in some of these really foreign countries and the the crisis that we're going through now where we're kind of forced together with our with our families and I'm just throwing that on you, so I apologize if that's out of left field. But it struck me as as we were talking that there's there might be some correlation between those two.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't talk about that much because it isn't. You know, we were fortunate enough to to be able to do that, and that's not the experience of most families. The ability to to pick up for six months and travel around the world. Our kids at the time were 11, uh, 13, and 15, and. Mm-hmm. um and it was at times wonderful and at times horrendous, right? All of the same problems wow. that you have back at home, you have in Xi'an, China. And not to mention that now nobody will eat the food. So yeah. um, so it, it was transformative for our family. It showed us that we are our we are a team. We are each other's best cheerleader, also worst critic sometimes. But <laughs> that when the you know when the rubber meets the road, these are the people that you will count on. My family is is very close, and I attribute that to that um, six months that we spent traveling. And you know, we stayed in hostels, and we we this was not a, a first class operation. Um, we ate street food and stayed in hostels, and and really wanted to give our kids sort of the this is what local people do. Um, this is how local people lived, and this experience for the whole world will, at best, I think, can foster some of those same feelings. If our parents, if if parents are not trying to overly produce an idyllic you know, childhood or an idyllic experience of this, if they let them have that experience of negative emotion of frustration, of anger, and then lean on their f- brothers and sisters because they need socialization, they need to talk to somebody, I think it can be transformative for a family.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. And, and I do think see there's there's parallels right so that idea of of this nucleus family being the the support and and the people who are there and and the ones that are surrounding you at all times um it, it seems to be you know parallel to that situation that you were in and and your kids turned out fantastic by the way so you got um you got that really good spot and so um Thank, thank you.
2: you. I appreciate you saying that. I, I was saying <laughs> that none of them's gone to jail. So, uh, <laughs> good enough, mother.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: man. Um, good enough, mother. Jules, thank you so, so very much for your time, your thoughts, your insights. This has been really terrific.
2: Thank you very much. It was a, very, a pleasure to talk to you. Have a great day.
0: Welcome to the special edition grooving session where Tim and I groove on some ideas and concepts that were inspired by our conversation with Dr. Jules Nolan.
1: I was so excited to meet Jules. Uh, This was my first time, not your first time, but it was such a great conversation. I really, really loved it. And you are always great at asking me what I thought first. And so I'm going to turn the tables, Kurt, and ask you what Uh, you thought of this conversation with Jules.
0: But I always throw it to you because then I don't have to think so hard. Now (laughs) I have to think. You do. Yes. No, it was, she was fantastic. Uh, We've both commented on this subsequent to this, uh, the amount of information. And valuable, valuable information, I think, is really just, again, on par with – anybody that we've talked to so far in no. this um S- like and some part- of our best
1: researchers i mean she was she was speaking as if this was her i mean she's she's a professional she cares she's thoughtful she's articulate it was it was pretty terrific
0: practical applications left and right and for me that's really important because i have kids that are 10 and 14 and right. this plays right into that moment if yeah. i had to if i had to call something out I, I, there's lots of things I'd call out, but you know, the pandemic is the lesson. I yeah. thought that was really yeah, that was an interesting part, you know, that parents are worried that their kids are going to have all these consequences from all of this. But what she's saying is, no, look, our kids are actually a lot more resilient than we give them credit to often. And there's actually some value in them learning from these emotional negative emotions that they may experience as part of this and that's okay that's actually yeah. a really good thing to happen because you know we overprotect our kids often and we need to let them experience boredom experience frustration experience yeah. all some of these negative emotions that they go through Well, we we
1: call them negative. They're just a part of growing up. They're just a part of the human condition, right?
0: Well, you and I both, we grew up, we weren't coddled. We were, you know, I was, we'd go outside, you'd play out in the summer and you'd go out at, you know, in the morning and you'd come home for lunch and then you'd go back out and you'd come home for dinner and then often, if you were lucky, you'd go out afterwards, and your parents weren't around. And so, you got in a fight with your friends. You had to figure out how to get over that fight. You, They all wanted to do something, and you wanted to do something different. Well, you had to learn how to negotiate with them and figure out how that happens. That's right. And I don't that, know if kids get that as much. I think they do, but I don't know if they get that as much. And in some situations, probably not enough.
1: And. Well, well, we've been talking to a lot of of academics recently and off mic, we have conversations with them about what, what it's like to be dealing with uh, t- changes in class schedules and what it's like to teach virtually and all these kinds of things. And we've heard, heard plenty of comments about the snowplow parents and the helicopter parents who are out trying to figure out how to manage their kids, whether they're in grade school or in high school, or in college, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it gets ridiculous, right? But we're not hearing anything about submarine parents these days. It's all about it's all about these parents that are out trying to overprotect, really, what, what kids are going through.
0: Yeah. And it's, it reminded me, when Jules was talking, it reminded me of Jonathan hate's The Coddling of, of the American Mind. Oh, yeah. And, and his work that is talking about this exact thing that we are not giving our kids enough uh freedom um, the the leash is too short and that has negative consequences in in the in the short term we think we're helping but in the long term we're actually not helping out these kids because they they don't learn the lessons which is exactly what Jules was saying is that in order to have a better society you know our kids need to learn how to how to cope with these things that, yeah. you know, let your kids be bored, let them be frustrated, let them be alone. Because at some point in their life, they're going to deal with that. And if they don't have the the necessary mental skills to be able to handle that, then that breakdown that happens at that point can be devastating. At a, at a younger age, it's not so much.
1: This is uh, the theme of resilience that we've heard so much about, right? Figuring out how to cope. These are coping mechanisms. These are basic, fundamental uh, skills that we need as human beings. We have to figure out how to cope. And by the way, the great thing is humans are really well-suited for doing this. Yes. We're really good at it. Um, And so why not let... Uh, sort of nature take its course uh, to a large degree, right? Why not just let kids be more resilient, give them an opportunity to to build up the skills that they need to handle negative emotions? because yeah. there are certainly negative emotions. but right. but and they're gonna happen. They're just gonna happen in the real world. Um, yeah. because it could be transformative it could actually engage us in a way that hasn't engaged us before.
0: Well, and she brought up uh, the good enough mother, that concept by, by Donald Winnicott. Um, yeah. And I was not familiar with that. So I did some research subsequent. And, and again, it, it's this idea that, yeah, when, when babies are young and, and we need to, we need to make sure that they get all the attention that they need. But at some point, you have to start separating yourself. You have to start getting it so that that mother-child bond, that father-child bond, that it the child gets their own self identity. And yeah. there's this idea that you can't protect them from all of these things. And if you if you do try to protect them from that, then actually their own self identity doesn't necessarily get formed. Um, and so we, you know, I I think there's some. Interesting pieces of that as we think about we, I think we we overprotect sometimes because we feel we're we're always looking uh, and we focus on those negatives right we focus oh, yeah. on the the negative aspects of what we see going on in our kids' life and oh I should have done something better as opposed to looking at all the positives. And in this time in particular, I think we can get way too focused in on the negatives that can happen as opposed to all of the positives that are that are occurring. And you know what? There's enough meat in the sauce, as we like to say.
1: <laughs> this is part of the human condition, though, to focus on the negative to, to survive, because we're going to look for those bad situations so we can avoid them again in the future. And this is, uh, I think that we're we're focusing a little too much on the negative right now and missing out on the opportunity to say this is just part of what's happening this is just part of of what what the world is there are negative things that are going to happen and we have to figure out how to deal with them and uh, keep moving and by the way not every day is going to be a beautiful, bright, sunny, rosy day.
0: No, <laughs> it's, it's no, okay. like today, it's raining out today. It's cr- it's crappy. <laughs> oh. it's, it's it's horrid. But there's Uh-oh. there's that part, and there are negative things that are happening, and there are you know domestic abuses going up, and child abuses going up, and some of these and those are horrid, and those aren't the things that we're talking oh, yeah. about. Yeah. But for the vast majority of families that are out there, yeah. there's a part of this that gets into framing. Right, we frame things from that negative as opposed to framing the the concept in a positive perspective. So I loved at the end and I brought this up and I, I apologize uh, to Jules because I, I don't know if she really wanted to talk about, you know, their family was able to do this this year-long uh, travel around the world uh, when her husband was getting his, his degree as part of it was an international degree. And the the concept of how that made their family stronger, this idea that, yeah. that they had Big to be realized, yeah, they realized that their family was the team. I think this has some parallels to that. And I think we can look at this and saying, how can we take this opportunity to make our family stronger? That core family becomes really tight because we have to, because of the situation that we're in. We don't have any alternative. And I think that if we reframe that and say what are the options that we have and one of the outcomes of what we're going through is a stronger more resilient more interconnected positive family all the
1: better. This gets into the the piece that I really wanted to talk about and that is that families that working that work as a team are responding the best. Yeah. And this takes me back, and I've, I've, you and I have talked about this just a little bit, but I'm kind of on this, this idea that the experience through the pandemic of working from home is bringing us back to pre-Industrial Revolution days, that this is actually taking us back to something that's more closely linked to our DNA. Because prior to the Industrial Revolution, we, when, when the, the iron worker or the, the blacksmith got up and went to work, he just walked out the back door into the forge. Or yeah. when the farmer said, "Okay, I got to go, got to do go do the work in the field." It, the field was right there at at the house.
0: Um, well, and, and the family played a part. The entire did. family played a Everybody part did. in that industry, right? The kids yeah. went out and helped the blacksmith cleaning up or doing whatever it was. The kids went out and helped plow the fields or pick the fields. I mean, our school year is structured around the farm. Because of planting and, <laughs> and, harvest. and yeah. harvest, right? That's why we have summers off. And and, uh, and so
1: this this idea that we did this for tens of thousands of years as humans, and then the industrial revolution comes on in the, in the early 1800s, and that breaks it all up. Now we've got mom and dad leaving the house and going to work. And so it's really a relatively short and recent part of our human history that we've had this separation of work and home. Now we're living in a in a in a time right now during the pandemic that work and home have kind of been unified and in some ways I think we're missing the opportunity to, to explore it.
0: Yeah. And for yeah. many people I think that's very true. I think we can yeah. take this again, how do we how do we take the negative of the situation and find that silver lining that positive aspect of what we're doing I love the part how Jules then went into some really practical things about how to help make that that family unit a team and the one that I took to heart and actually you know we interviewed Jules last week and now we're in the next week and recording this but was the family charter that she talked about so I actually we talked about it as our family because we didn't have one and we put together a list of guiding principles. And now we're working with um, I'm working with my kids You're and my wife it. to yeah. finalize that. And then what does that mean? So we're we're taking it in. And I think it's been it's been positive just actually talking about it. Just, just, in, the crea-
1: it, just in the creation of it, you feel like you've, you've gotten good, uh, good conversations going. You feel like there's more openness and more common understanding of what's going on. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far,
0: Um, (laughs) but I think there's been good discussion. We've had some really good discussion and we're talking about being respectful to each other and being kind and, you know, helping out and those types of things. And our kids, you know, realize, oh yeah, this is something that we value as a family. So let's, let's think about that. So I think it'll be, it'll be good. Uh, We'll, we'll, I'll I'll give you updates (laughs) in a month or two to see, yeah, that, that worked great or nope. The Nelson family did not work out at all. Did you,
1: well, we'll, we'll find out. Did you have an emotional safety plan as well?
0: For, uh, I need an emotional safety plan for me. Um, No, I haven't. (laughs) You haven't created that? The emotional safety plan I thought was really interesting, Yeah, but I thought that was the hardest part because it's emotions. And so you have emotions and we respond emotionally. It's hard. When you're in a hot state, yeah. When you're in a hot state. But to, to that, I mean, it's the Dan Ariely work, right? You can have the best laid plans in the cold state, but when that hot state happens, those plans go to, go to crap. But what yeah. I think Jules was saying was, it's better to actually have those plans because you're more likely to fall back on those plans than if if you don't have any plans. And so yeah, that's a really key part. It reminded me of when then statements though.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. and,
0: And so I need to put together when then statements, like when my kid doesn't get up and be down and working, you know, on a, on a schoolwork learning time at 10 when I that's what we've all agreed to, I have to just be calm. I have to go into that closet and shout in the closet and not at him. Well, right, which kind of connects to this
1: idea that you brought up about parenting later. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like this, in the business world, I think about uh, important versus urgent. You know, some things are important and urgent. Some things are important, but not urgent. And part of a, one of the great lessons from business school for me was decide what you have to decide now, but don't decide on things that don't need decisions right now. Uh, not everything needs to happen right now. And I think that when we think about parenting or we think about everything, you know, if we're, especially that we're bringing this this work life home, we have this, this oh, God, got to get it done right now. Not everything has to get done right now because it won't. Not everything will get done right now. Let's prioritize, make a plan, figure it out. <laughs> and, and, and life is going to be okay.
0: Well, and she talked about we're parenting always at two times, for the now and then for the future. For the right? future, yeah. So, your decisions that you make now to calm that emotional angst that's going on in this immediate time, you know, it's the easy choice, Maybe uh, detrimental to that long-term choice. And I think you mentioned business, and I think that's a really – important piece and i think even before the pandemic happened i think we were getting in this world of responding 24/7 and i send an email out and people need to respond right away make a decision why right we need to right. think about our our decisions from a business perspective too in a you know i am leading for now but I'm also leading for the future. Mm. And there's part of that where some of this gets into, why do I need to make that decision? This is something that you need to learn and do. Some of it is around making, you know, the short-term sacrifice for the long-term gain. Some of it is about controlling your emotions in the short-term because you need to have a cohesive team in the long run All of the same things that she was talking about from a parenting later could be a leading later uh, piece on this. Absolutely applies to the to the business world, because
1: because managers who are uh, leaders who are fly off the handle in the in the short term, uh, they don't get the benefit in the long term. Yeah, they just just don't. Kurt, what uh, what else was important to you in this conversation?
0: So she talked about she talked about a couple things that you can do to help your kids thrive, right? Oh yeah. One was three yes. things. One to give them choice, limited choice, because again, there's a lot of stress going on. Choice architecture. Yep. Choice architecture, but give them that choice. They have that sense of autonomy. They, they need to feel like they have some control over what's going on. And as she said, for younger kids, maybe more specific and for larger kids you get a little bit broader you get to larger kids older kids not larger kids <laughs> doesn't matter how much they weigh it's it's all about their age uh their mental their mental ability to handle that yeah. then the other part was you know number 2 was doing something uh to work for the greater good yeah bigger picture stuff bigger picture mm-hmm. and we've heard this with some other interviews that we've done on this covid is this idea of Having that larger purpose can help in releasing endorphins as well as connections and feeling good in this time of craziness. So, you know, trying to connect what they're doing, even if it's as simple, something as simple as we're staying home now, not for us, but we're staying home because we need to protect. You know, our grandparents or yeah. uh, the neighbors next door or whoever that would be, those yeah. are things for the greater good. And finally, it's the social connection. Make sure that we maintain and build those social connections. And the one piece that I love that she said is, you know, if you have kids who maybe can't have that friend social connection at this time, whatever reason they can't, the family can We need to make sure that we're connecting with them as a family, which goes back into this is an opportunity for that family to get stronger. I have a 10 year
1: old nephew who uh, is engaging in a lot of video gaming and he's got a phone set up next to the video game so he can have a conversation with other people while well, he's he's video gaming but he needs two hands to video, video game and he doesn't have a headset so guess what mom gets to listen into all the conversations to both sides of the conversation and it's working out great it's yeah. like oh i heard i heard so and so said something about this what what did you think about that and so now it's just not this one-sided myopic thing it's actually opening up more conversation to have this 10-year-old boy play some
0: video games with friends uh, oh. Helping mom. So I thought that was kind of cool. I need to get my 14 year old to get hit, take his headset off, and so we can <laughs> exactly. listen in. Yeah. but I don't <laughs> know if I want to listen in on those conversations. <laughs> no, probably not. Okay. Uh, and the last thing, and I don't know about you, but the last thing for me was she talked about shine some light on the great things that your kids are doing or even those neutral things that kids are doing. Oh, yeah. And not always yeah. harp on the negative. And for me, I just have to take that. To to heart because it's so easy to do. It's so easy to sit there and to you know focus in on the things that they're not doing that you want them to do and not on the hundreds of things that they're doing well or even just okay. You know, my kid took the milk and put it back in the fridge. (laughs) Hallelujah. Damn, that was awesome because for the past three days, it's been left out on the damn table when I go down there and, you know, but he so, put it back
1: so today. That, that was a bit of a win.
0: I need to go and just say, wow, good yeah. job.
1: Not a huge win, but a win nonetheless, right? Yeah. But yeah, and, 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 and it is good. It really is important for us. This is sort of like Liz Fosling's, uh use the emotional lens. When we're reviewing the email or that 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 classic, do you need to hit send on that email right now? (laughs) Maybe you could wait till the morning when it's negative
0: leading later or, you know, parenting later. This is one of those times where you you do that. But, yeah, I think there is this concept of focusing in on the positives that we see. And again, I don't want to be Pollyanna, but I think there is some aspect that we can really take an opportunity here to look for the good, double down on that good, and make some good happen in the long run on this. And I hope that's what people take out of this. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope
1: uh, you are enjoying this uh, series on COVID-19. And if you are enjoying it, please take a moment and give us a good review.
0: Yeah, if you just share this with one other person, and they share it with one other person, and they share it with one other person. Pretty soon, we'll have four more listeners. <laughs> <laughs> four more people as a part of this community. And if you have not listened to Weekly Grooves, uh, we're making a plug for Weekly Grooves, too. We've been doing about 10, 11 episodes of Weekly Grooves. Comes out every Friday. Just a short 15-minute conversation that we take a topic that's in the headlines and we apply a behavioral lens to it to get some long-term insights into why we do what we do in a short-term podcast or in a short yeah long-term
1: views with short i don't know okay
0: (laughs) that was a a good try tim with that thank you for listening to the special episode of Behavior Grooves. We hope that you found it interesting and insightful. If you liked it, please let others know. We think that the topic is important and maybe we can help in educating people about how behavioral science can help us all out in this current craziness that we are going through. Also,
1: please let us know if you have any thoughts or ideas that would be helpful or that we could share. You can reach us through the Connect tab on the Behavioral Grooves website at www.behavioralgrooves.com or through Twitter. I am at T. Houlihan and Kurt is at What Motivates. We really do love hearing from you. And this topic is one that spurs lots of emotions and thought.
0: As part of our mission, we want to expand and inform the community of people who think about positively applying behavioral science to life. One way that happens is through leaving reviews. If you think this podcast is beneficial and should grow, we would really appreciate to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast server you use. It only takes a few minutes and goes a long way to boost us in the algorithms that are used to generate search results. Also, please check out the show notes. We are linking to a number of resources articles, podcasts, newsletters that we vetted to bring good facts and ideas around COVID-19 and the coronavirus, its impact and ways that we can help slow down the spread. There is a lot of information that's being pushed out to everyone each day, and we are weeding through it to find good stuff so that you don't have to. We truly appreciate you listening.
1: Now go out and wash your hands.